This is the Calvary Bible Church podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Thanks for being with us this Easter 2020. We're so glad you're here. Even if we're gathered from a thousand different places to meet together online, I'm so happy that you're here. We have a privilege to have this kind of technology in this day and age. The only thing I want to encourage as you join in online and you watch the screen, we always watch a movie or television with a lens on that says, I wonder if I'm going to like this program. I wonder what the, um, the production value will be like in this show. And I just want to encourage you, as you enter into church on the screen today, um, put on a different lens. Put on a lens that says, God, I want to hear from you, and I really expect to hear from you. That's what we've been praying as we worship God together on this Resurrection Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus is a mysterious event that has shaped all of the world. And I don't know what you're doing in your place at home, but probably like me, you're making a list of projects and you're doing projects and you're playing games together or maybe you're doing a puzzle. We did a puzzle at my house on this week and it was Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. It's a complicated thousand piece puzzle with lots of black pieces and white pieces. And it sat on the table pretty much in this fashion for a couple of weeks. And occasionally, over the two weeks that it was on the table, Lucy would say, I'm so frustrated with this puzzle. If Jesus weren't looking at me right now, I'd put him and all the disciples back in the box. Well, we kept at it for uh, probably three and a half weeks. And eventually, I'm here to report, it's now back in the box. I didn't report whether we finished it or not. We didn't. And I have a deep sense of failure and shame that I wasn't able to solve the puzzle. Not being able to solve a jigsaw puzzle is one thing. Not being able to solve some of the problems of life and the world and family and faith is a much deeper problem. Do you know the Bible was written for us to understand some of the puzzling things that God has done, particularly in relation to sending his son into the world? Life can be a puzzle. We're in the midst of a very complex time in the history of the world, and many of us are asking, what is God doing? Well, I wanted to take this Easter and celebrate one of the explanations of the resurrection of Jesus that comes in the, gospel, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 13. And we're going to look at an explanation for some of the puzzling things that have happened in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So if you have your Bible, why don't you open with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 uh, reveals a sermon given by the Apostle Paul. If you happen to have been with us last week in church, we studied how a man by the name of Saul, who was a blasphemer and a violent man, was confronted by none other than the resurrected Christ. And Jesus confronted him on the road and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul had a transformation of life and he surrendered his life to Jesus. And now in chapter 13, we have an account of the very first sermon Paul ever preached. And I want to look at it because it reveals the way in which some of the puzzle of the history of the world, of the reason for the death of Jesus, and the explanation for the resurrection of Jesus are all found here. 
What I want you to see are three things, maybe four. Number one, how God was working in history. Number two, how God was working in the death of Jesus. And number three, how God was working in the resurrection. So to begin, let's look at how God was working in the history of Israel, particularly to bring a savior into the world whose name was Jesus. Let's pick up in verse 16. So Paul, being asked by some leaders in the synagogue, stood up to give a word of encouragement. And this was his sermon. Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. For about 40 years, God put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them the land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for about 40 years. And when he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now, this is the sermon that Paul begins to preach, and essentially he's telling the history of Israel. And who is the subject of this preach? It's really God. What did God do? Well, God chose his people, beginning with Abraham, and God cared for them while they were in 400 years of slavery. And God rose up, raised up Moses, and God delivered them out of the wilderness, and God brought them into the land, and then God gave them judges and prophets and kings, the last of which was David. And the key verse in all of this explanation of God working through the history of the nation Israel is verse 23, that from David's offspring, verse 23 says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, just as he promised. So it's as if Paul is explaining all the history of Israel and saying that from Abraham all the way to King David and then from King David all the way to the time of Jesus, God was working through the history of Israel in order to deliver to Israel and the world a savior so that God was orchestrating all of human history to bring Jesus into Bethlehem by his own purpose and plan. And he comes with this description. He's a savior. He's going to save his people from their sins. The next verse tells us that God was also working to bring a forerunner, uh, someone who would speak about Jesus before he arrived, and that was John the Baptist. And then in verse 26, we read this sort of conclusion of the section. Brothers, Paul continues, sons of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. And I've circled these two words on the screen so that you can see the connection. That Paul is explaining that God was working in history in order to bring a savior into the world whose name was Jesus. And now Paul is actually explaining 
about this salvation. So a savior brings salvation, and that's the whole point of human history, as Paul explains it, is God is working to bring into the world his own son, Jesus Christ, to be a savior and to save his people from their sins. Now we're thinking about a kind of salvation in these days. We all want to be saved from COVID-19. Or we want to be saved from economic ruin. Or we want to be saved from being sequestered in our house in total isolation. We, we want a kind of salvation. But if the last month has taught us anything about our own selves, our heightened sense of anxiety and fear because of what's happening around us, the one thing we absolutely know for sure is we are not able to save ourselves. We don't know how to save ourselves in this present dilemma. How would we ever save ourselves in relation to God? Our sense of anxiety in these days is so high. Imagine if we had to stand before God and say, am I ready to enter into the presence of God? Wait, you, you don't have to worry in stress about that because God's purpose in human history was to bring a savior into the world. His name is Jesus and Paul is preaching about this salvation. Now there are two more things that I want you to see about this salvation that Paul explains. Secondly, God was working through the crucifixion in order to bring us the forgiveness of sins. So look at verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, that's Jesus, or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, actually fulfilled those writings by condemning him. Paul is saying, here's the riddle. Even though there were many people in Jerusalem who were going to temple every week and they were reading the Old Testament scriptures in which are sort of hidden the references to a Messiah who would come and he would be a suffering Messiah, they did not recognize him. There was a puzzle to it that they couldn't sort out and they couldn't understand all the Old Testament writings. And as a result of that, they actually became the players in the drama that God was working out that they rejected the teachings of the Torah and they participated in condemning Jesus to death. The next verses, 28 and 29, continue. And though... They found no guilt worthy of death in him. Jesus was perfectly innocent. He committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. Though they found no guilt worthy of death in Jesus, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree or the cross and they laid him in a tomb. Again, the Bible just speaks so simply about the death of Christ. They rejected all the suggestions of the Old Testament that the suffering Savior would actually bear our sorrows. He would be punished for our griefs. He would bear in his body 
our transgressions. He was taken away and the Lord crushed him. Isaiah 53 comes to mind. Although that was in the Old Testament, they missed it. But God was working. Do you know that the Bible talks about, this is amazing, the Bible talks about God being ultimately responsible for the death of Christ. God, you maybe know this verse, God so loved the world that he gave. God gave his son, knowing full well that his life would end in a death on the cross. So God was working through the crucifixion to bring the forgiveness of our sins. In another place, the Bible says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself through his cross. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God through him. God was doing this. It was all his definite plan and with his full foreknowledge. And if you need one more proof, you know that Jesus in his lifetime predicted that in three days I will go to Jerusalem and there I will be mistreated by the rulers and they will crucify the Son of Man and after three days I will rise again. He predicted it and it came true. All this because God was working. He was working in the crucifixion to bring us the forgiveness of sins. Fortunately, God was also working in the resurrection God was working in the resurrection of Jesus in order to bring us eternal life. This is the third way God was working. So maybe where you are in your living room, you see verse 30 on the screen. And let's all just take a deep breath and read these brief words from verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. You couldn't get a more simple explanation in the Bible language. I think if you were trying to convince somebody about what the Bible meant when it, when it said there was a resurrection, you would think there was an elaborate explanation. It's just this simple. But God raised him from the dead. You see, when Jesus died, God was working. When Jesus rose from the dead, God was working. He was working as he raised him from the dead. And the verses continue in verse 31 and 32. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now the witnesses to this people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, he fulfilled to us by raising Jesus. Who's doing the work? God is doing this. He's furnishing proof that what God promised to Old Testament saints, he's now fulfilling, Paul saying, in our generation. God is in the resurrection and God raised Christ from the dead. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. God was working when he raised Jesus from the dead. Three ways, Paul says, God was working in history, to bring a savior, in the death of Jesus, to bring forgiveness, and in the resurrection, God was working to show that there is a resurrection, there is an eternal life, there is life after this life, and Jesus becomes the first fruits of those who will believe in him, so that if you believe in Jesus, 
you too can have eternal life. It's really a stunning sermon. Paul's first sermon, first words, they're worth looking at. He says more that we won't have time to look at, but he goes back to the Old Testament and says this was already prophesied about in the Psalms. But then he calls for an action. He calls for a response. This is what I want you to just listen carefully to me. There, there are two possible responses that you could make today. Let's look at them. First, in verse 37, um, he gives a call to respond. I'm sorry, verse 38 let it be known to you, therefore, brothers. This is the so what of the passage. This is the so what of the sermons coming down to, so what should I do with that? If God was working in history, if he was working in the death of Jesus and he was working in the resurrection and God was doing all that, so what? Here's the so what. Let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You can be forgiven for your sins. In other words, what God was doing in Christ was, was he was sending his son to the cross to pay for our sins. God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we could be forgiven. The announcement I make to you is that because Jesus is alive from the dead, you can be forgiven. And secondly, you'll see in verse 39, and by him, everyone who believes is, you see that word? You're free. You're free. You're freed from everything from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Paul the apostle, who was a Pharisee, he knew the law perfectly. He understood that when you start reading the law, think the Ten Commandments and 600 other commands, it just feels like this weight that the law is just like a curse. Cursed is everyone under the law. Like such a burden to try to keep all of the law. And if you break the law in any place, you're a law breaker and you're guilty. So have you ever told a lie? Have you ever disrespected your parents? Have you ever been deceitful, taken something that wasn't yours? It's like, oh man, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And, and the law just points out how much we are guilty. And now Paul is saying, listen, for everyone who, I would circle this in your Bible, everyone who believes, to everyone who believes, there's forgiveness and there's freedom and that's what God wants to give to you. Now, I, I bet there's a voice in some of our minds this morning that's saying to us, Tom, if you only knew what I did, if you only knew all the things that I have done, there is no way God could forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. My wife won't forgive me. My, my kids won't forgive me. Listen, God will forgive you. That voice is a lie. The Bible is saying that Jesus paid the ultimate price to forgive you of your sins, to give you a freedom in Christ. Because he's alive, you can be forgiven and you can be freed from that weight that's awful. In fact, can I just remind you who's writing this? Who's the author of this sermon? It's a man who hated Christians. 
he would blaspheme the name of God and he would get Christians and he would torture them to death until they blasphemed the name of Jesus. Many of them refused to do that and he would execute them. He was a murderer. And he's the one writing this, I have found forgiveness. He said, I'm the worst sinner in all the world, but Jesus has forgiven me. So if you're listening to my voice today and you have a sense in your own soul that you don't think God could forgive you, I want to just tell you, Jesus is alive from the dead and he would just say to you, I love you, I will forgive you. And what is left for you is to believe. To believe, what does that mean? It just means to simply acknowledge and say to God, Lord Jesus Christ, I know I am a sinner and I need your grace in my life. This is the way Paul put it in another place in Romans uh, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. He simply said this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he's alive, you'll be saved. You'll have a Savior. You'll find salvation eternally. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You might not have ever tuned in today thinking you need a Savior, and yet Jesus is explained as the one that God was working to bring into the world. He was the one who went to the cross for our sins. He's the one who was raised from the dead in order to say, I'm alive now. And all that's left for us is to make a decision. What are we going to do with that? Everyone who believes finds forgiveness of sins. Now, sadly, there is another choice. And that other choice is also found with a warning. And that's in verse 40. In verse 40, Paul concludes his little sermon here with the word beware. Like, just be careful. This message that you're hearing is life-changing. And, and beware that you're not like those who heard the prophets in history and listened to those who were God's voice and spokespeople and they ignored it. The prophet who said, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if someone tells you. You're hearing what God is doing, but you're going to say, I don't believe it. Don't reject this word and perish. Don't be like the scoffer. I don't need the resurrection of Jesus. Now the message of Easter is Jesus came and died and rose again because we need him so. And I just want to say to you, the best decision you could make today is to say to the risen Savior, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God's working. I said there were probably four ways God's working. In history, in the death of Jesus, and in the resurrection. You know how else I think Jesus is working today? God is working today, right now. I think he's working in our world I think he's doing things that we wouldn't believe if we learned what they were. But I think he's up to something through our present circumstances with COVID-19, our anxiety. I think God's working. And I think God may be working in your heart this morning too. At least I've been praying that he would, that you would hear his voice 
and that you would hear him call to you saying, I love you. I, I went to the cross for you. I was buried and now I'm alive forever. You know, as we conclude this morning, if he's alive, where is he? He's at the right hand of God. He, he, we could say of him, the judge of all the earth is alive. And one day we too will stand before him. And the only thing, we, we don't need to try harder. We, we don't need to sit under the weight of, oh, I just wish I could be better and better. We just need to receive the gift of his resurrected life. The words of Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, yet shall he live. Do you know what's true of the resurrection? The resurrection simply means that salvation's finished. It's complete. Our sins are forgiven. The word of God is true. And it means that heaven is our destiny. Jesus actually said to us, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you will be also. Listen, he paid it all. He died and rose again. He's alive forever. And I pray that your heart will be so filled with a trust in God to save you and to keep you in these uncertain days. He's a good Savior. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come into our life to be a savior for us. It is the very purpose that God so loved the world, he gave Jesus for us. Now I pray that you will open our hearts to love Christ, to turn away from our sins, and to receive the risen savior into our life. I thank you that because Jesus lives, we too can live. So maybe where you are right now, where you're seated as you listen to my voice, would you just say to God, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Have mercy on me. I welcome you into my life. And because you're alive today, I want your life to be in me. Please give me your salvation. Welcome me into your family and assure me of my place in your kingdom in eternal life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive. We worship you, living Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together. Everybody said, amen.